Tell me some things. So, this podcast is going to be very heavily Elsie-based today. Shout out to my girl, <laughs> Elsie. Uh, she broke her leg. Oh, She's no. having the time of it. Oh. Uh, and in and amongst that, the content that I have been sent has been incredible. Uh, one is a bar in Paris that we are definitely going to go to. It's called The Moonshiner, and it's a bar hidden inside. Like it's a bar within a bar? Bar within a bar. Incredible. I also have another secret bar that I found in uh, Paris that I really want to go to. And I think that's very exciting. So she sent us that. Uh, She also wants us to go to Jimmy Morrison's grave, which I actually am very down for. I want to go. I've been. um, And I also, A, love any cemetery. Because cemeteries are... are They're peaceful as shit. They're cool as hell. It's super fun. Um, I told you about the one that I went to in Argentina in Buenos Aires that was so good and there were so many cats. Oh, yes. I love cemetery cats too. That's a real vibe. Cemetery cats looking like peeping into like freaky deaky like open crypts. Come on. And aesthetic as heck. It's going to be great. It's going to be so good. We'll dress up in like cute little like black and white outfits. I love it. I feel like maybe we should have like cute little band shirts on. Uh, little rock and roll situation. Okay, yeah, maybe. Hmm, things to think about. <laughs> Would you like to hear the other content that I've been getting? Yes, please. Give me a full content update. Uh, I'm going to read you just some mames that I've been sent by my mother. Thank you, Elsie, for the mame content. Incredible. Uh, these are all about having a broken leg. <laughs> There's one. It's a picture of a horse. And the horse has a helmet on and a skateboard. And it's holding its leg. And its leg is all... Yep. And then there's another horse that's a doctor. And it's like, shh, it's going to be okay, Jimmy. It's going to be okay. And he has a gun. So he's going to put the other horse down. Yes. Um, (laughs) There's a picture of a cat wearing a cast. And it says, my plan to dominate the world has been put on hold for now. There's a picture of a gingerbread man with his leg broken that says, oh, snap. Yes, classic. Yep. Uh, What else? (laughs) There is... The overly obsessed girlfriend meme that says, I saw a man with a broken leg today and thought, this guy can't run. Oh, no. (sighs) There's one, and it's two skeletons. One is on the examination table, and the other is a doctor. And the doctor is looking at an x-ray, and it says, yep, looks like a broken bone. And then the uh, skeleton guy, where you can visibly see the break, says, glad we cleared that up. (laughs) Um, And so that's been some of the really incredible content that we have received today. It's excellent. Doesn't sound like someone who's sad and in bed and wishing that they were not. <laughs> Elsie will not be in bed. Elsie's kicking ass and taking names. Incredible. Of course yep. she is. Goddamn survivor. Uh, so, yeah, she is a goddess, as some might say. Oh, no. Uh, You're becoming I'm a segway so ninja in <laughs> so many ways. Um, welcome to Pantry Stables, everybody. The podcast where we do not talk about memes. We do talk about moms. Yep. Um, uh, but and today we're talking about green goddess dresses. Oh my! I was gonna. Sorry. Okay, edit it out. Try again. No, it's done. It's done. I've I'm Marika, and I'm Emily. Did you say this was pantry staples? I tried to. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> we're fine. This is uh, episode three of season four, where we are talking about foods that are invented in restaurants. And as I said before, I should have. Uh, today we're doing green goddess dressing. Incredible. The the sauce of my childhood. <laughs> the sauce of all hippie parents everywhere. Incredible. Um, Tell you, me all about it. Would you like to know where it was from? Yes. So it is from, to the shock of many, San Francisco. 
Incredible. Probably in like, what's that main uh, hippie restaurant? Is it the, uh, mm, I can't remember. I can't remember either, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yep. We've done a great job there. Uh, <laughs> no, it was not from a hippie restaurant. This is not a hippie recipe. <gasps> this is a recipe first created in 1923 at the Palace Hotel. Get out of here. This is a fancy recipe from the 20s. It's a fancy <laughs> recipe from the 20s. I love it. Um, it is from the Palm Restaurant, Cute. or the Palm Court, sorry. Uh, but it's also maybe known as the Garden Court. It was unsubstantiated. Palm, garden. Whatever. Do they have palm trees in San Francisco? Don't they have palm trees everywhere in California just because they insist on having it? Yes, not naturally. Not naturally. San Francisco's a rainforest. Yeah. I guess palm trees are rainforest plants. I have no idea. <sighs> Me neither. I have, is that a palm over there? Mm. I wanted to say no, it's a pine, but I'm like, that's completely <laughs> wrong. <laughs> You still have your Christmas tree up. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. No, I don't. Don't worry, guys. Although I would have liked to. My Christmas tree looked oh, incredible no. this no. year. I will not stop talking about my Christmas tree. We've no. already talked about it. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> um, you do not have a Christmas tree. In I don't have a Christmas tree. I think um, that's a yucca. I don't think it's a yucca for some reason. Oh. All right. I had really bad luck with the yucca. Yucca lucka. Yucca lucka. <laughs> okay, anyways. Um, so... Green Goddess Dressing. Yes. Created in the Palace Hotel Restaurant in 1923 by Chef Philip Romer. Fancy. He created it as a tribute to actor George Arliss, who was starring in a play at the time entitled The Green Goddess. Very on the nose. But you know what? I'm not mad at it. No, not at all. And why was it the Green Goddess salad dressing? Because it was green from all the herbs in it. (laughs) Lovely. So it was either that he made it as a tribute or George Arliss came into the restaurant and was like, Huh, you should make something for me. And then he's like, fine, here's some salad dressing. Enjoy. Have a salad, you Hollywood bitch. <laughs> um, and it contained anchovies, scallions, parsley, tarragon, mayonnaise. Incredible. Tarragon vinegar and chives. So that's pretty exciting. And it was served over canned artichoke. Gross. I mean, okay, most artichokes that we get nowadays are technically from a can. Or, like, jarred. Yeah. But it, it just, just seems yucky. It seems wrong that that is your only salad. I bet it would be delicious to actually cook, like, a nice, like, steam an artichoke and just mm-hmm. dip it in that. Ooh, I have artichokes at home. Maybe I will make this. That does sound very good. Mm-hmm. Why don't you bring those today? I didn't even think about it. I couldn't have be at work all day with two artichokes in my purse. That would have been insane. Or incredible. <laughs> it's very on brand, I will say that. It's not not. Mm. Uh, 1948, Worcestershire sauce was added and later recipes included basil and avocado. Was the Worcestershire, so- Worcestershire, Worcestershire sauce replacing the anchovies or was it no, doubled up? No, I think up? it was in, in addition to. Interesting. Yeah, which I'm like, hmm, I'm not mad at. You know I I'm love a little bit mad at it. I love some Worcestershire. I just feel like it's going to overpower the delicateness of the herbs. I think that the way that they have so many herbs in this that they hold up. All right. But I will agree to disagree. Okay. So... Let me read you a newspaper headline. Please do. Green goddess salad is delight of epicures. (laughs) The body of the paragraph reads, Made famous by Philip Romer, chef at the Palace Hotel, green goddess salad is the epicures delight. Basically just a rewording of the headline. 100%. I love it. And then again, green goddess salad. Mix in a bowl rubbed with garlic. Four to five fillets of anchovy. One small, one slice small white onion. Add 
one and a half cups mayonnaise, one tablespoon tarragon vinegar, one tablespoon chopped chives, one teaspoon chopped parsley, a few chopped tarragon leaves, one head romaine chopped and an equal amount chopped escarole, one head chicory chopped, mixed together lightly in a salad bowl. I nailed it. You did. Should I be an ad reader? <gasps> Maybe. I've already decided my next act is going to be as a mechanic. I'm speechless. I think it's going to be fun. Anyways. <laughs> that sounds lovely. Yeah, and as you can get from that, very mayo forward. Sounds like a delight. Yeah. That's where all the creaminess is coming in from now. Mm-hmm. I assumed it was very avocado heavy because that's what I have known. Mm-hmm. Is it to be avocado-y, but I'll allow this. Well, because we're coming at it from the like post-80s version avocado. where avocado is replacing all other fats just love it i'm not mad at that no anyways that's that's the history of the green goddess dressing specifically Mm -hmm. but philip romer unfortunately he ain't a genius few (laughs) men are (laughs) ain't that the truth to quote my mother there's no thought that's been had that's original not anymore no yep sorry 2022 we've already dropped in there all the thoughts have been thought they've been they done been thunked (laughs) so (laughs) to quote the great Socrates, (laughs) they done been thunked. (laughs) I believe he said that in conversation with Aristotle. Oh, yes. In the classic text (laughs) on thunking. (laughs) On thunking. (laughs) Also, on a total side note, did you edit this out? But (laughs) did you know that Caitlin calls me the Wicked Witch of the West End because of my cackle? (gasps) Which I think is very funny. Incredible. Anyways, so because this chef was not a genius, he was just riffing, you know? It's all a riff. Of course. He was riffing on the classic sauce veil. La sauce veil. Which is just green sauce. Yeah. And it is green sauce in every language spoken in Europe because every culture, like, you got this in Spain, you got this in Germany, you got it in Italy, you got it in France. They all got a green sauce. You have a sauce. And it's green. So it's green sauce. And, okay, I love it. Yeah. yeah. So, what is the feature? Mm. Is pesto a green, a sauce vert? It's a riff on. It's a riff. <laughs> Everything's a riff. It's just, we're just riffing. We're just riffing. We're just spitballing here. Spitballing. Uh, yes, because it is sort of, but it's also not because it has like pine nuts and shit. Mm-hmm. And a little parmigiano. Parmigiano. Okay. Um, so, when do you think that sauce vert came into play? Well, if it's from all... I, I don't know. Tell me... The tell classical me. period. The oh, Romans. Of course. Why? Well, I, I should always just guess. Because we're a pro-Roman if podcast. You, <laughs> if you give me this, when do you think this was invented? He, he, he. Eyebrow raise. It's the Romans. Bitch, Every I time. can't raise my eyebrows. The Botox is working. <laughs> so yeah. Suggested to have dated as far back as the classical period, but definitely by the Middle Ages we had this. Mm. In the Middle Ages, it features parsley and sage quite heavily, which not really herbs I associate with the Middle Ages, but also totally makes sense now that it's been said, which I think is very cool. Those are herbs that I associate with the Middle Ages because of the classic nursery rhyme of parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. That was beautiful. Thank you. I don't associate any fresh vegetables or herbs with the Middle Ages. That's because you don't believe that the Middle Ages 
exist. Did anything. <laughs> yeah. No, this is the thing. I know how problematic my viewpoint is, but I just can't. And like, I know culture, it was everywhere. The mm. Romans, they were reading, they were writing. And I know that the tradition carried on. They were eating good food. They were eating fresh. They were, you know, yeah. da, 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 da. Um, no, whatever. I don't know what I'm going with, but I know that that all happened. But for some reason, when I picture the middle ages, I'm just like, dearth of culture everything's gray only porridge that's because that's how we were taught that's that's what the renaissance tried to gaslight us into believing the renaissance is rude a little bit yeah well i blame my public school education uh as we've learned through this podcast i don't know shit and i'm a university educated lady don't know how i missed all this stuff anyways um so let me tell you a 14th century recipe. Oh, Green would... sauce. Mm-hmm. Served with a dish of cheese and whole egg yolks. Boiled in watered-down wine with herbs and spices. This is recommended for lords for settling their temperament and whetting their appetite. So it's fancy food for men. Fancy food for men. <laughs> to keep goddess. them calm. They're the green goddesses of their day. Aw, sweeties. Aw, so cute. Interesting that they have like an egg yolk. Like just the yolk. So were they doing like a... Very, like, a fancy, like, a cured egg yolk, as is popular and like... I kind of feel like the way that it's written, I assume that there's, like, with all this stuff is, like, they're making it into, like, a mayo. Oh. Like, that's how yes. I think of it. I don't think it's a cured egg. Yeah, that makes way more sense. Yeah, but I think the writing of this is ambiguous, but mm. that is how it was written down for me, so that's how I told it to you. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> so, where, where did this all start? The Roman legionaries. Oh, they're just okay. out there spreading joy and peace and roads and syphilis and destruction and death. <sighs> uh, yeah, to people in the Near East, and mm. they're there and they're like, "Huh, I like what I'm seeing." Yeah, let me get some of this sauce. So they took these great ideas and they're like, "Hey, have you guys seen what we can do with herbs?" <laughs> and I don't know. They, if you, have you met herbs? Have you heard of tarragon? Have you heard of flavor? Yes, they have. They're very into flavors, my guess. Yes, um, but. The Middle East cooking is also very into flavors and probably had different herbs that they didn't have. Exactly. In continental Rome? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe it. So anyways, they took this salad back to Italy, or this, not salad, this sauce back and were mm. like, guys, get a load of this. <laughs> and then through their subsequent kind actions of spreading <laughs> peace and roads mm-hmm. and syphilis and war and death uh, through Europe... Other countries got a taste for this as well. Yes. Uh, so, Apicius, which is the 5th century CE writer, who his cookbook is one that we've mentioned numerous times on this podcast. The guy for whom Epicure is named? Boom. He mentions in Jus Viride in Avibus, green sauce for fowl. He says, it consists of pepper, caraway, spikenard, cumin, bay leaves, a variety of green herbs, dates, honey, vinegar, wine, broth, and oil. Rico, do you happen to know what spikenard is? I can look it up for you right now. Tell me all about the spikenard. Okay, let me do a... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By spikenard, do you mean spikenard? Spikenard, Which yes. is how it is spelt? Okay, the quick headline that I get at the top of Google. Spikenard, also called nard. <laughs> Narden. Nard. And why is Narden funnier than nard? I don't know. And muskroot, nope, muskroot, I, I just added an A, uh, is a class of aromatic amber-colored essential oil. Uh, oh, it's like part of the honeysuckles. And it's probably called spikenards because it's spiky and 
ballish. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Very cool. good. Cool. Yes. Just further proof of the Romans being 14 year old boys. Their entire culture. <laughs> Incredible. Ah, oh, bless. So that's where we think this sauce originated. Hmm. And it's probably just kind of bouncing around Europe, having a good old time. Now we have other thoughts on this of people who popularized it. Hmm. Who might have done this? Well, and I'm a little bit skeptical about this one, frankly, but it is said that the chef of Louis XIII served it over eel, and that's when it became quite popular. Oh, interesting. But the reason I'm a little skeptical is because during the reign of Louis XIII, it was still very much a time when dishes were overly spiced Hmm. because of the new introduction of spices to the market. So people were using them as, like, a luxury product, and to, like, instead of to flavor foods, they were to make them seem more like expensive and high class right okay so like when there was that phase in like cooking when everyone was putting gold leaf on desserts exactly that's exactly what they're doing yes uh so these dishes are like really overly spiced at the time and then once it was kind of louis the 14th's uh, kind of era, which again, not a huge time difference in between, but enough for the market to get flooded with spices. So it's kind of more commonplace to get them. People aren't really as obsessed with them. Yeah. Uh, we see a transition to more of like fresh herbs in the dishes. So it makes sense that that would be when it is, but could it be a thing where the Louis the 13th chef is using it kind of as like a flaunting of spices where they're kind of using herbs in the place of like these expensive spices. They're like, look at all this I think it stuff. could be. I'm, you know, I don't have the yeah. answer, but no. I think that that seems correct. I'm also like low key, just like maybe the person who wrote this fact down, not me, <laughs> not me. No, maybe like when it was written yeah. about it, like it should have been Louis the 14th and it was just written incorrectly. Right. Cause I feel like that happens literally all the time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Book Scribes. You. Yeah. They ain't perfect. <laughs> Scribes. They're just like us. Huh? <laughs> oh my God. Um, so... Now I just want to tell you some things about Louis the Fourteenth. Oh my goodness, incredible! Because it's funny. Mm-hmm. Sixteen seventy-one, when Louis the Fourteenth decided to visit the Prince of Condé at the Chateau of Chantilly. The Prince of Condé? Yeah, like Condé Nast. So I was... he's the editor of Vogue. Everything makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Okay. New conspiracy theory: <laughs> Anna Wintour is... is the Queen of France. Be careful, because she might like literally try and claim that. Anna, call me. I have set this up so perfectly for you. I am the queen of transitions. Um, anyways, preparations began immediately as large orders of food, wine, and other necessities were made. In charge of all of this was Francois Vital, a man whose name is well recognized by all modern cooks and chefs, apparently. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. Francois Vital? Yeah, but we're not, we're not fancy cooks. We're not... not- we're not chefies. We're not not, though. No. I don't know. Anyways. Okay, yes. So he had 15 days to prepare. But that was not enough time. It doesn't... Actually, it doesn't sound like enough time. Because, like, how many people would be at this feast? Like, hundreds? Like, you have like to feed... hundreds. An entire court and their servants? Yeah. Yikes. Uh So... And also, like, you can't just get food. No, that's the thing. It's like, you can't just go to the shops. <gasps> like, stuff has to be brought in. Yikes. Um, so anyways... It was pretty stressful, too, because the Sun King needed a lot of fancy things. He demanded the best of everything. And mm-hmm. Francois was daunted. Oh. Yeah. Francois. So not only was the king demanding that all his courtiers be housed and fed, but they also needed to be entertained. So for three days, this man needs to have all of these people fed and amused. 
And he's in charge of both? Apparently. Don't know why. Seems like poor planning. Like, seems like somebody fucked off for vacation at that time. And he's like, I guess I'm doing two jobs now. You know what? Triggered. Um, (laughs) So the first day presented one of many calamities for Vital. Oh, no. Aside from other mishaps during the day, he'd organized a grand fireworks display to distract the king and nobles. But unfortunately, a fog rolled in and nobody could see them. Oh, no. It's like bad days at work. Truly. So he was super embarrassed. It's not his fault he can't control the fog. Well, I don't know if the Sun King agrees. Ugh, of course not. Uh, So he's visibly anguished the next day. His fate was sealed by the second (gasps) afternoon. Oh no. Uh, He was doing his inventory. He got to the fish order. And he asked the cartman with the fish, in exasperation, whether this was all the fish. The cartman assumed that Vital was referring to only the fish in his cart and not the others that were on the road behind him and replied, that's all. So he thinks he only has one cart when he's supposed to have, like, multiple. So Vital, in a move, <laughs> not unlike one that I might pull any day now, was crestfallen. Mm-hmm. And nothing seemed to be going as planned for him. And he just really didn't want to disappoint the Sun King. So, unable to take the stress any longer, he retired to his room and stabbed himself with a sword. (gasps) No! Uh, Which takes me to my newest thing that I have suggested doing at work, which is honor killings anytime anyone complains about the food. (laughs) Anytime. Just bring out... No, no, I'll, the server will kill themselves. Yeah. Anytime there's something wrong with food, they're like, this is overcooked. And it's like, I am so sorry that I've dishonored you this way. I give my life. And then they die at the table. I mean, I think that's racist, but I also think yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, it 100% is. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, but also, is that not the funniest idea that you've ever seen? We'd never have another overcooked or undercooked steak again. <laughs> I feel like the, the kitchen would just be like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> The only way that it would work is if you have to bring out, like, the grill cook and just be like... We're already so short-staffed <laughs> in the kitchen, Rinka. We can't stand to lose them. I, um... I I think in practice it doesn't work, but I do like it as, like, a joking scare tactic to the people complaining. Just be like, mm, all right, cool. Like, yeah, let me bring out the... <laughs> let me bring out your server so that they can kill themselves. Yeah. I think it's great. I'm going to start doing it. Oh, no. We're going to have to put a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. Oh, no. Trigger warning. Emily jokes about suicide. I should be doing that trigger warning on my day-to-day life. Um, yeah. Sorry. Just walk around with a t-shirt. <laughs> trigger warning. I'm depressed and like to joke about it. Um, anyways, so that was rough. Do you want me to tell you some things about what ha- I want to know. Like, He's what dead. Ha- he just died, and then they, like the fish came, and everyone was like, Seems like an overreaction. <laughs> <Just like Yeah. laughs> Anyways, uh, well, so we... I mean, yeah, I you do what you do. I was gonna try and make a French Revolution joke, but I'm a couple of years too early. Yeah, no, oh, well. it's almost time. Anyways, <laughs> let me tell you some court food things. Perfect. So, for most courtiers, dinner was eaten. This is dinner, not supper. So okay. Like lunch. lunch was eaten at eleven or twelve before attending the king's dinner at one. In spite of appearances, many courtiers hoping to attain the king's favor were relatively poor and were referred to in the slang of the time as cherchmidis or seekers of free lunches. <gasps> yeah. So I feel like I've heard cherchmidi as like a term. Yeah. Not in referring to actual courtesans. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's still just like a guy who wants a handout. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's fun, hey. 
Free lunch. There is free such a lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, if they were not able to eat in town or at their patrons' tables, they could dine with the five hundred other reliant on the king's generosity at the cuisine du Comment, a special kitchen kept to feed them in Versailles. So at one, the king would eat au petit couverts or au grand couverts uh, or au public. So watching Louis dine au public was a popular pastime and one well-dressed person could and any well-dressed person i should say could be admitted they were not allowed to stare at the king however and they were led through one door and out another moving past the king's table in an orderly queue louis rarely dined au public and preferred to eat au petit couvert in the privacy of his rooms even in privacy the ceremony was considerable after they were toasted by the maitre d'hôtel and the equerry of the kitchen. 30 or 40 dishes were carried from the kitchen in the rue de Surintendance across the street and through the palace to the king's rooms with a formal entourage of more than a dozen people known as the Cartage de la Viande de Sa Majesté. So, so the meat, the, his majesty's meat carriers? Yeah. How did, they, like, I guess they had they cloches. <laughs> Yeah, but that's, like, such a far walk. Also, obsessed with the idea of you're, like, eating in public and people just, like, file through to watch you but not look at you. Yeah. It's wild. Oh, my gosh. France. Royalty. I'm sorry, but there is nothing more absurd than the French royals. <gasps> like. They're truly out to lunch. They were murdered <laughs> for it. Yeah. And, like, no one's shocked. But also, like. Sad. Great. You know what? Incredible. Like, they, they the achieved vibe. such heights. And they fell so far. The pinnacle of... Yeah. Fancy boys. They flew too close to the sun. The sun king. Get out. That was good. Um, so let me tell you about dinner. Mm. Supper, I should say. Yes. The supper hour was at 10 o'clock, but the king usually ate much later. 10 p.m.? 10 p.m. Did they have snacks in between? Because that's so long. Wait a second. Okay, fine. Thank you. Supper was his favorite part of the day, and the court was awed by the amount of food he could eat. An average supper for King Louis Fourteenth, the Sun King, might include four plates of soup, a pheasant, a partridge, ham, mutton, salad, pastry, fruit, hard-boiled eggs. Although he retired to bed soon after supper, he would be met there with an encas de nuit, a snack meant to sustain him till morning. This would include two bottles of wine, water, three loaves of bread, and perhaps three cold dishes. No. Which, frankly, why are people not meeting me at bedtime with that? Three loaves of bread? I could eat three loaves of bread at dinner or at bedtime. Anyway, it was very common in court to, like, have a lot of small little snacks, and people's mm. rooms often contained, like, trays laden with snacks that they right. would eat from, and that's why the meals were so far apart. Mm -hmm. But he never ate in between, obviously, because he ate so fucking much. And, like, made it a sport where it's like, look at me, but don't look at me. Eat all this food. <laughs> don't look at me. Don't look at me. I'm yep. a monster. <laughs> Why is it the four plates of soup that are making me the most upset? I know. It's the worst. <laughs> also, the hard-boiled eggs, I assume, after dessert. Yep. He's just like, oh. Ew. Uh... So you want to hear something even worse? Of course. Upon his death, his autopsy revealed <gasps> that his stomach was twice that of the average man. I mean, clearly. Duh. Also, they did autopsies in the yeah. 17th century. Wild, hey? Apparently, and this was something else I read, that it's like there was some tradition upon 
like for the royals in France where their like innards were divided into like three separate portions like the intestines were done one way and their hearts were embalmed and like something else was something else like there was a very specific way that their bodies were cared for after death oh like they're getting all Egyptian with it almost they're like. getting quite Egyptian with it but they're not not doing funny weird things huh yeah anyways so he's known for this huge appetite yeah three quarters of a century after his death one of his organs would become a meal of its own. <gasps> William Buckland, a geologist and the Dean of Westminster, nope. ate his heart. No. During the French Revolution, no. the Sun King's heart was stolen and it ended up in possession of Lord Lord Harcourt, the Archbishop of York. Nope. Uh, the story goes that William Buckland visited no. Harcourt in 1848, learned of the mummified heart. He reportedly couldn't resist a taste, so he gobbled it up. No. It's unclear whether he asked permission to eat it or simply swallowed it on impulse. I'm sure he did. His behavior wasn't out of the ordinary for the scientist who was so obsessed with strange food that he vowed to eat a piece of every single creature from the animal kingdom. No. And the heart of a king was apparently too good to pass up. Oh my gosh. So, what year is this? Uh, what year did I just say? It was 1848. Ugh, of course it is. They're so weird. <sighs> yeah, so... <sighs> like, that is the 19th century version of, like, tech bros. Like, trying to get, like, the opposite of food, which is just, like, living off of, like, Soylent. Mm-hmm. But it's just, like, it's just a flex. It's such a flex. Can you imagine me, like, yeah, I eat King Louis' heart. It ain't no thing. Just Chewy. Like, Ask me about, the, he just got a bit, has a big shirt that says, ask me about the time I ate King Louis heart. Men love conversation shirts, so it wouldn't surprise me. Ugh. So that's everything I have to tell you about green goddess dressing. What, what a, we what a turn. We so far from the light. <laughs> Thank goodness. It's been a long time. we ended into the sun king's room. <gasps> you know what? We've been on topic for so many seasons. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh... Tell us about, um... The weirdest thing you've eaten. I guess. No, I, I'm dead curious. I want okay, to. yeah, I do. Um, and that would be on uh, our Instagram at Pantry Staples Pod. Please follow us there. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your foes. Do all the things. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, or like in two weeks, as we usually do. Okay, bye. Bye.